Many years ago, we were on vacation uh, down, uh, headed to a family reunion in the Smoky Mountains, and um, it was just, uh, you know, we were on the way, we were driving through the Smoky Mountains. If you've ever had the opportunity to do that, it's quite an enjoyable experience, but it was, uh, you know, uh, Lindsay and I and the the four offspring, the munchkins, and uh, at that point, uh, Jane was just an infant, okay, and we're cruising along in our minivan, and we saw this sign for a, a, a waterfall hike. And spur of the moment, because you know how outdoorsy we are, spur of the moment, we're like, oh yeah, let's just pull off and we'll do this hike as a family. It'll be fun. We had time to kill. It was like, this is going to be amazing, right? And it was like, I think the hike was not even two miles, so it wasn't, it wasn't too terrible. Um, so, you know, we get out and I mean, we were not equipped for this situation, but nonetheless, we did it. We got out, we got all the rascals, we get on the, the trail and we had, I think we had two, I have photographic evidence of this. We had two, uh, you know, infant carriers, right? And so we get going on this hike and we're, we're cruising along and, you know, it starts to get a little steeper and, you know, we're like, okay, whatever. So, but then we get to this, this like fork in the path, Right. And so there was one way where you could go, and it was a much shorter, easier hike that basically just did a a small loop around and bring you back to the main road. And then there was the other way, which was not short and not easy, but that was the way that went to the waterfall, right? So we're there as we're standing there, like, you know, this, uh, this, this clan trying to make a decision. There's some hikers coming down from the more difficult way. And they're like, oh, it's so worth it. You got to do it. Right. And so we're young and dumb. We're like, yes, let's go. So we could do it. And I mean, I kid you not, it must have been not 10 feet past that sign. And all of a sudden I was carrying six children. I didn't even bring six children, but I'm carrying six children up this steep climb up this mountain, you know, all right, slight exaggeration there. Nonetheless, it was a difficult climb uh, to be sure, but man, we made it to the top and we saw the waterfall and, you know, at at that moment in the fork in the road, it it was decision time, right? I mean, we had to make a decision and we said, we're going to go and go for it. And by God's grace, it worked out. I can testify though, it was not easier. It was very difficult, but it was worth it. You know, we hit this conclusion in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's decision time in the Sermon on the Mount. And in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to respond in a particular way. In fact, he uses the same analogy, the analogy of two paths or or two roads. And he says, it's not enough for you just to hear an interesting sermon, right? It's not enough for you to just to, to listen to these words. Jesus says, you've got to decide which road you're going to travel. You've got to decide which way is for you. One road is wide and it's easy. It's popular. One road is narrow and difficult. And just like that hike, we will learn this morning that harder does not equal worse. But harder, in this case, actually means better. Infinitely better. As we look at this passage this morning, you need to ask the question, how will you respond to the words of Jesus? Of course, we've been asking that all along, and rightly so, but as Jesus draws the sermon to a conclusion, we'll cover it in two weeks, but as we kind of work through the conclusion, you need to ask the question, how will I respond to the word of God? How will I respond to Jesus's call? This is not just a decision point. It is the decision point because the matters that Jesus will discuss here 
are the most important that we will ever consider. And so in light of that kind of sober introduction, we, we wade into this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount in verse 13. Now don't forget last week, Jesus has just called us to ask, seek, and knock. And we focused on the grace of God last week and that as we ask, we will receive. And as we seek, we will find. And as we knock, the door will be opened. So we talked about how that's about the grace of God and salvation and actually answering the prayer of salvation. So salvation is based on God's grace. And for all those who are seeking it, God will grant it. He will, he will bring them forgiveness through Jesus. So in light of that grace, though, there's also a, a, a warning facet. And so that's where Jesus goes in verse 13, especially as he anticipates the growth of his kingdom, the growth of the church. The call is very simple. Watch Matthew seven thirteen. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. In these two verses, Jesus introduces the contrast between these two roads and these two gates. Okay, so we have a narrow gate and a wide gate. We have a, a, a broad road and a narrow road. We have a difficult road and an easy road. And just to kind of get you to, to picture what he's talking about, he's talking about a city gate, the, the way that you would enter into a walled city. And so I would just want to compare with you a wide and a narrow gate, just so you can get the image in your mind so that we understand it. So let me first show you a wide gate. This is uh, on the northern side of the city of Jerusalem. Those are medieval walls, so they didn't look exactly like that. But you can see this is a nice wide road that leads into a, a large opening in the wall, especially by ancient standards, a very, a very large opening. And so many people can come and traverse in and out of the city through this gate. And it's, there, there it is. There's your wide road and, uh, and your, 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 your wide gate and your broad road. So there it is, right? Everybody knows where it is. But in contrast to that, you would have certain other places in city walls where there might be a lesser known or smaller gate. Here's basically just a door, right? A small door. It's not obvious. It's not necessarily easy to get to, perhaps. Maybe it's a little bit lesser known. But nonetheless, there's, there's this door. And so Jesus basically puts these two gates out in, in, front of, uh, in front of his hearers. And he says, okay, there's a narrow gate, a small gate, and then there's a wide gate. But those two gates don't enter the same city. They enter a different destination because it's not just a contrast in the nature of the gates and the roads, but actually it's a contrast in destinations. Again, if you note in verse 13, Jesus says that the road is broad that leads to destruction. Now, just so we're all clear, the road that that heads to destruction and the gate that leads to destruction, it doesn't say road to destruction on it. Okay? It says road to happiness, road to fulfillment. Right? This is what you want. But it doesn't lead to that. It leads to destruction. The narrow gate, the difficult road, that's the one that leads to life, Jesus says in verse 14. There's one more important contrast. Jesus says, that wide gate, that broad road, there are many, many people on that road. It's where everybody is. But the narrow gate, the difficult road, Jesus says, there are few who find it. It's not popular. What Jesus reminds us of here in verses 13 and 14 is this important principle about his kingdom citizens. Fundamentally, Jesus says, kingdom citizens stand out. 
Now, he's talked about that in several ways already in the Sermon on the Mount. But he teaches us here, once again, that kingdom citizens stand out. They don't just go with the crowd. They don't just go along with everybody else swimming downstream, following whatever everybody else is doing. There's a distinction, right? We're not on the the broad road with all the many people. We're looking for this other way. And yes, it's it's a narrow gate, so it might be harder to find. And it's a more difficult road, Jesus says. But that's the one that we're looking for. So we will be different. We won't just be living, speaking, and acting like everybody else. Or living, speaking, and thinking like everybody else. Kingdom citizens stand out. And the first thing we see this morning is that kingdom citizens stand out by distinct living by distinct living. There's a recognition here that we must be different. Disciples are different. You might ask the question, are you different? Is there enough of a distinction between you and the average student in your school or the average family in your neighborhood or the average coworker at your place of employment? Are, are you too American, right? Are, are you too much like the world in that sense? In the sense of just living and acting and speaking like everybody else does. Disciples must be different. Now, we can talk about this distinction in a couple of key ways. This narrow gate and the difficult road, right? The, the gate is narrow because there's only one way to enter it. And, and the way is difficult because it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus, When we live in a world of people that aren't following Jesus. So there's this recognition of the difficulty of standing out and being distinct. That difficulty, by the way, may be expressed in persecution. Severe persecution like imprisonment and and, and physical uh, beatings and, and executions and martyrdom. But often it's not that severe. It's still just difficult though. It could be those awkward moments that we face. Where we're treated differently because of our faith. Disciples are different. We're different in what we say no to and in what we say yes to, right? We're different in what we say no to because we say no to temptation. So it's not hard to imagine a scenario where the kids in your class or the people at your workplace are saying, okay, we're going to go here and do this, right? Have this party. And you're thinking, "Uh, uh uh-oh, Jesus calls me to sobriety. Jesus calls me to sexual purity. So I'm going to say no to that event. Right? I'm going to say no to that temptation. And I'm going to be looked at as the weirdo. I'm going to be looked at as the Bible thumper. I'm going to be looked at as the crazy Christian. But Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the road that leads to life. Jesus says, my disciples are different. And so, yes, we, we stand out by distinct living, partially by what we say no to. Right? Saying no to sin. I just want to encourage you this morning that if you know there are areas of your life where you are not saying no to sin, where you are failing in this area, you're compromising, right? Own it. We just sang a beautiful song of confession. Lord, have mercy, right? God is merciful. And we learned last week that as we ask, we receive. And so because of the work of Jesus on our behalf, we have access to forgiveness, and so you can freely go to the Lord in prayer and you can, you can say to him, Lord, I have failed you in this way. And you can ask forgiveness. Where we're going to get in trouble is when we're participating in sin, when we're not saying no to temptation, and it's not a big deal. And it doesn't bother us. 
and we're fine to just go with the crowd. Disciples are different in what we say no to, but we're also different in what we say yes to, right? We recognize that we're called to distinctly Christian living or living for Christ or holy living, right? We're set apart for the Lord. And so we say yes to positively pursuing God's glory in our lives. We say yes to uh, functioning in our marriage in a way that brings glory to God. And we say yes to parenting for the glory of God. We say yes to being a son or daughter or a grandson or granddaughter for the glory of God. We say yes to working in a way that honors God. We're going to work hard and heartily as unto the Lord as we read in Colossians, right? We say yes to those things that God has called us to. We say yes to valuing uh, God's people, his church, and investing in his kingdom both here and abroad. And so, yes, we're going to leverage our time. And yeah, it costs time and energy to be involved in the church, but it's God's family. So we're going to prioritize that. And you know what? Other people may look at you and go, why, why are you insisting on, on investing in your marriage by, by going on that marriage retreat or, or going to that, that counseling for your marriage? Or, or why are you investing in the church so much and spending so much time gathering with the saints and going to the care group? and having Bible study or whatever. Why, why are you doing so much and all this? And why do you insist on making sure to stay the whole time for work and, and working hard and even going maybe a little over and doing a little bit extra? Why are you doing all that? Why are you so weird? Why are you so different? Jesus says it's because we're his kingdom citizens. It's because, well, the gate is narrow and the road is difficult, but it leads to life. So everybody else may not do that. They may not be interested in that, but I'm interested in that because it's what Jesus has called me to. Disciples are different in what we say no to and what we say yes to. There's the many few distinction here, the contrast. And I think maybe it's important just to clarify our expectations with regard to the growth of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is growing. No one can stop it. Praise God. Like no one can stop it. This is an outstanding comfort to us in the midst of trials and difficulties. But we also just have to recognize that even though God's kingdom is constantly growing and his work is continuing, Jesus promises here that Christians will not really ever experience being the majority until his return. So don't expect to be the majority. Don't expect that you're going to live in a Christian nation, right? That, that you're going to be, now, we may be blessed with many Christians that live in our nation, but it doesn't mean that the majority are following Jesus. That that's not the case in our country. And so we shouldn't be shocked and surprised that what people make decisions that aren't honoring to the Lord. That our nation doesn't value things that God values and that our nation may choose to value things and promote things that God hates and God has said are wrong. Like that's part of it. Because Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many on that road. So we shouldn't be surprised to see many are on that road. But narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. So we say, yeah, kingdom citizens are going to stand out. Like basically this is Jesus saying, you have, you have to make peace with being a weirdo. Like you have, you have to make peace with that. You have to make peace with standing out. And being odd. Now, some of you are too comfortable with that, and we'll talk about that maybe another time, you know. It's, it's not being different for the sake of being different, right? And that's actually an important distinction. It's not being different for the sake of being different. It's being different for the glory of God, right? Because we're pursuing his, his holy standard in our lives. Kingdom citizens stand out by distinct living. It is hard because you will be labeled odd, you could be labeled a heretic. 
you could be labeled harmful to society. I had a, an acquaintance, it's not really a friend, but an acquaintance who had posted a, like an open letter to American culture or something like that, and they felt like they wanted to just say a bunch of things out on social media. And um, it, was, it was flagged for hate speech, right? Because it's harmful to say that people are sinners and that we need a savior. And so it's like, you know, you're like, yeah, like the standard of that social media platform determined that this was harmful, that this Christian message was harmful. We shouldn't be surprised that when that happens. And our tendency and our temptation will be to go with the flow and to keep our heads down and maybe to not, you know, stand out so much. But Jesus says, if you're following me, you're working on this road, right? This lesser known, harder road where you will stand out. I think it's also important just to recognize here the call, uh, the call for sinners to repent. The broad road with the wide gate is a bait and switch. Again, the sign says, this will make you happy. Look, everybody else is doing it, right? Jesus says, that road leads to hell. That's where that's going. And so you may be here this morning and you may not be a follower of Jesus, which means you're on the broad road. And so that means that if you're just agreeing with everybody else and you are not, you haven't trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you're not pursuing him with your life, it means that you're headed for destruction. And yet Jesus has just said, ask, seek, and knock. He said, turn to me. The, The way to get access to that narrow gate is just to turn to Christ. There's a surrender that is involved here, right? Where you say, I give up. I give up lordship over my own life and I I surrender to Jesus. All roads don't lead to heaven. We just need to say that one more time, right? I don't care what Oprah says. All roads don't lead to heaven. It is a a basic fundamental lie of our culture. It's infused in our culture. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you, man right? Except it doesn't work for you. And so there's a warning here from Jesus that says, listen, if you're going along with just everybody else, it's very likely you're on that broad road. You're headed to that wide gate and that that gate leads to destruction. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to know more, part of our mission is to make disciples. We would love to talk to you about becoming a disciple of Jesus, right? So please, please take a minute, a few minutes, even just come and catch me after the service. I would love to talk to you more about getting on that difficult road headed towards the narrow gate. Kingdom citizens stand out, but not only by distinct living. There's another warning here for kingdom citizens. Watch verse 15. Jesus says, okay, if you're going to follow me, all right, you enter through the narrow gate. But then in verse 15, he says also, Be on guard, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Okay, so pause right here. Verse 15 introduces kind of the next section where Jesus says, okay, you need to be careful about false prophets. Now, the category of false prophets is a well-known biblical category. There are warnings in the Old Testament about prophets, those who claim to be Uh, those who speak for God, right? And so there's this warning in Deuteronomy 13 and Jeremiah 23, uh, Zechariah 13, uh, even in uh, Ezekiel 34 about false prophets or or leaders of God's people who are 
who are leading them astray, right? Who are causing damage instead of good. And so the image Jesus uses is that of a wolf in sheep's clothing, which doesn't necessarily mean they're always in the community of the church. They might be in the community of the church, but maybe they're also just associated with Jesus. So they're just saying, yeah, I'm a Jesus person. But then in actuality, they are not a follower of Jesus and they are not there for our spiritual benefit. They actually are ravaging wolves. They will cause destruction and and cause spiritual havoc in our lives. So Jesus says, you can't just trust everybody. See the internet, right? I mean, we just got to, you know, there it is, right? You, you just can't trust everybody. Jesus says, be on guard. Now, notice though what he says. It's not just about the doctrinal teaching. Watch verse 16. He says, you'll recognize them by their bad theology, right? No, that's not what he says. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Fruit here is not a reference specifically to their teaching. It's a reference to their living, their behavior, their attitude, their speech, their conduct. So they're saying the right things. They've got the right outfit on, right? But they're not actually living as citizens of God's kingdom. Jesus says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. And then he develops this fruit analogy. He says, okay, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, you want grapes, you go to the grapevine. You want figs, you go to the fig tree. Like that's how it works. So you don't, there's no mix up here. Okay, that's the principle. Verse 17, in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. So now Jesus develops the thought a little bit more. He says, okay, so if you want good fruit, you have to go to the right tree and to a good tree. A tree that is healthy. And and if you don't go to a good tree, you're not going to get good fruit. If you go to a bad tree, a tree that isn't healthy, you're going to get bad fruit. Trees can't fake it, right? They can't fake the kind of fruit they produce, and they can't fake that they're healthy. Verse 18, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Don't push the analogy too far. It's a simple agricultural picture, right? Verse 19, Jesus issues another warning. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus, aren't you being a little too harsh here? I mean, just because they're not teaching what you taught or whatever, like, isn't it just like, can you just back off a little bit? Jesus says no, because let me be really clear that every tree that is producing bad fruit is worthless. And so if you're, if you have a garden and you have a tree or a vine that's not producing fruit, you're going to cut it down and you're going to use it for firewood. That's what you do with it. Jesus is saying these wolves in sheep clothing, they are headed for judgment. They're headed for eternal judgment. So he concludes in verse 20, repeating what he said in verse 16. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. It's not just about discerning teaching, although that's part of it. It's also about being aware of the character and the conduct of these leaders or teachers. Which means kingdom citizens stand out not only by distinct living, but also by careful listening. Careful listening. Now we need to talk about how we apply this. Kingdom citizens stand out by careful listening. We can talk about it in two kind of steps. First, we can talk about the doctrinal component. So there is an element here of concern for doctrine or teaching. And as Jesus instructs us in Matthew 28, he tells us as we make disciples that we should teach them to observe all that he's commanded us. 
So there is a recognition that, you know, when, when we have teachers coming into a church or in our day and age, as we're exposed to teaching through books or through hearing something on, on the internet, right? As we're exposed to that teaching, we can't just go, well, if they sold it in a Christian bookstore or it's on this website. It must be good. We need to be discerning about what we hear and what we read. And we need to compare that to the word of God, especially to trustworthy teachers who can help clarify, is this consistent with the word of God? By the way, this is why the elders of a church are called to rebuke those who are not teaching the gospel and to teach the gospel accurately to the church body. It's the elder's responsibility to protect the church, right, in its teaching. So there's a doctrinal component here. And let me just tell you something. When you are deceived about doctrine, you will, you will experience ravaging. These are ravaging wolves. You'll experience spiritual harm. I can give you an example. This, is, this happened many years ago as I was ministering uh, before we came to New Jersey. Uh, in our church where we lived, there was uh, some people in the church had been invited to a Bible study by someone else who was attending our church. And they, had, uh, they weren't a member, but they were leading, uh, I guess, a Bible study. And so they had gone to this Bible study. And it was like 1030 at night. And I got a phone call. Listen, when you get a phone call as a pastor at 1030 at night, I mean, uh-oh, wait, this is not good. From a Bible study, right? So number one, why is this Bible study still going on at 1030 at night? Number two, why are they calling me, right? So the, the, this guy calls me, and he starts asking me questions about what this other person was teaching. And it boiled down to the person was teaching that the gospel was only for white people. That, that was, the, that was the, the net result of the Bible study, which is not true. It's not according to God's word. But this individual had claimed to be a follower of Jesus, if you, if you said, hey, are you a Christian? He would raise his hand. In fact, he was friendly with several people in our church. And so there were relationships that were there. And so it turned out that what happened was he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. That he was actually then peddling and teaching a different gospel, a different truth. He was distorting and twisting the word of God. And that ended up causing other people to ask questions. And it basically caused destruction, spiritual destruction in the community. So there's a doctrinal element here where you have to be careful about what you are hearing or what you are agreeing with, right? You have to be careful about the teaching that you receive. Brothers and sisters, pay attention to the teaching. Bring your own Bible and check what I'm saying. Whoever's preaching, right? Bring your Bible and follow along carefully because your soul is at stake. And the, the reality is that just because someone claims to be a Christian teacher doesn't necessarily mean they are teaching in accordance with the word of God. This is why, by the way, we cling so, so, uh, so strongly to the Bible because this is the apostolic message. This is what helps us discern what's true and what's false. So there's a doctrinal component here. Okay, so that's part of it. But that's not where Jesus really focuses. He focuses on the fruit issue. And so that is an ethical component, right? The idea is not just that you hear preaching— but that you get to know the preacher. The idea is that you don't just listen to the, the, the prophet, that you have to get to know the prophet, that you're not just get downloading, but there's actually like a two-way situation here where you're getting to know the character of this person. Because Jesus says the easiest way to spot a wolf is by their fruit. Meaning their, their lives will not match up with the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so you will see that. Now, you may not automatically see that instantaneously. It may take a little time for that to show itself. But the word that we're looking for is hypocrisy. 
And so the church is at risk by having teachers come in or leaders come in and try to influence the church in such a way that is not consistent with the word of God and their lives will expose that they are actually hypocrites. And so Jesus says, don't just hear their teaching. You watch their lives. You watch out for these wolves in sheep's clothing. There's an ethical component here. This is why God has gifted to the church elders, a plurality of elders, right, to protect the church. It's also why God has gifted the church to the church. This is not just something that's only an elder issue. This is an issue for all those who are part of the body of Christ here. And this is why we think it's important to have identifiable church membership, because we want to know who is it that's actually a part of our body. And if you are a member of Greenpond Bible Chapel, you are called to help protect the church doctrinally by being on guard for false prophets. We need your help in this. You know, there's a, there's a reality that we can't do it without the help of every member. Because the fact is that we don't all spend time with everybody every week. And so over time, right, you may rub shoulders with somebody and something may become clear. You go, hey, hold on a second. There's a concern here for an inconsistency. There's a concern here about some hypocrisy. And so we want to love each other well by caring for each other and paying attention for the benefit and protection of the church. Be on guard, Jesus says, for false prophets. Doctrinal component, but most importantly here, the ethical component. Okay, this is why, this is why you cannot be pastored by someone on YouTube. Okay, I think it's important to just kind of make this distinction. It doesn't mean you can't hear a good sermon on the internet. Certainly, of course, you can. But here's the reality. You could hear it. You could hear or watch sermons on the internet, like all the time, weekly. And all that while, you would never know that the person's character matches Christian teaching. You you could not inspect their fruit because they are not living in your community. This is why you can't proxy out shepherding like over long distances. It's not, you just can't do it because there's no accountability with the teacher. There's no accountability for the one who's actually doing the teaching. So you, you, they could be involved in who knows what and you would never know. You're just, you're just downloading information, right? So again, hear me clearly. That doesn't mean you can't hear a nice sermon on the internet and be helped by it, but it just means you can't be pastored or led as a church by someone uh, over the internet. And I hate to say this, but we need to just state it explicitly that there have been so many pastoral failures, elder failures and pastoral failures, failures amongst leaders of the church, right? moral failures. And those failures, I mean, I could, I could cite celebrity pastors to you, but those aren't even the worst ones. The worst ones are the ones that you know, the ones in our own community, right? Those are the ones that are like a grenade going off in the kingdom of God, causing all this damage because of moral failure, because that, that leader has proven to be a wolf rather than a faithful shepherd of the sheep. Those failures are tragic and destructive. And that's why Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've you got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Kingdom citizens stand out by distinct living. Kingdom citizens stand out by careful listening. This is not becoming a spiritual Gestapo It's saying we love the church and we love each other enough to be on guard for the sheep, right? Now, that leads to perhaps the most sober warning of this section. 
And Jesus is not going to let anybody within earshot of him on this mountainside miss the point. Watch verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse, just pause right there. Jesus now transitions from the, the call to discipleship, right, to stand out. He, he's dealt with the threat that we may face as fakers come in, right? And, and they deceive and they come in as, you know, they're wolves, but they're dressed as sheep. And so we have to deal with that threat. But then Jesus says, actually, there's one more threat we got to talk about. The threat that you might be a fake. And this is a hard word to hear, but dear ones, we have to hear it. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There are people who genuinely believe themselves to be Christians who are not. And they will die, and upon their death, they will be rudely awakened to the reality of their soul. Now, the issue here is, again, the issue of hypocrisy. Because notice what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What Jesus is talking about here are people who only claim to be a Christian, but there is no evidence in their life that they are on that difficult road headed for that narrow gate, right? So he says, listen, it's one thing to say that you are a Christian. It's one thing to have the t-shirt that says you're a Christian. It's another thing to actually live according to the will of the Father. And so Jesus says, It's not good enough to appear religious. No doubt he's thinking here of Pharisees who had all the dress. They they dressed the look. They were the ones that were publicly known to be very spiritual. But then Jesus says, when the door is closed, they don't follow follow God. They are not members of his kingdom. And so there's just this general warning here that says, just because someone raises their hand and says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus says, hold on a second. There's going to be a lot of people that say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Like really spiritual people. Watch the next two verses. He says, on that day, the the, the day of judgment, the day of Christ's return, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Okay, pause. These are are no doubt uh, religious leaders that Jesus has in mind who had done some really religious things. I don't know where you rank religious things, But to prophesy, that would rank pretty high on religious stuff to do. If you have a list of religious stuff to do, that might be one, right? It'd be high. Driving out demons, exorcisms, also a very religious thing to do, right? And then performing miracles. I'm not sure when the last time you performed a miracle was, right? So these are like, these are big deals. These are things, if you asked, oh, who's a a Christian? Oh, these guys, he he exercised a demon out of my cousin. And oh, yeah, I saw him do a miracle one time. Oh, no, yeah, he prophesies all the time. Like, they appear to be very religious. They have these big claims of religious activities on their uh, religious resumes. Jesus says, they are not in. Just because they have a few spiritual highlights doesn't mean they're my follower. He says, have they done and are they doing the will of my Father who's in heaven? He says, verse 23, he says, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Now, there's a couple things going on here. Watch, in verse 22, they kept repeating, in your name, in your name. Do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not drive out demons in your name? Do we not perform many miracles in your name? In your name, Jesus, we're yours. Jesus, I have the, I have the, the necklace and I've got the t-shirt, right? And I have the tattoo, right? Jesus, we belong to you. We belong to you. We belong to you. And Jesus says, hold on. 
It doesn't matter how loud you are about saying you belong to me. On that day, Jesus says, I will announce to them, I never knew you. It's not I ha- they had faith and then they lost faith, by the way. That's not how it works. So you can't, you can't put your faith in Jesus, genuinely be converted, and then lose faith. That's not how it happens. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. But Jesus says, it's not that they had faith and then lost faith. Jesus says, I never knew you. Not when you were prophesying, not when you were casting out demons, and not when you were performing miracles. You never belonged to me. Now, when Jesus says, I never knew you, he's talking about the relationship. He's talking about, you never trusted me by faith. You were never in the family. You don't belong to me. He says, depart from me, you lawbreakers. What do you mean lawbreakers? Well, they've broken the law of God. They don't live according to the will of the Father. Jesus has explained in the Sermon on the Mount what it truly means to follow the law of God. And they rejected his teaching. They're doing their own thing. They've got their own system. No doubt they would have said, oh, no, we kept God's law. But Jesus says there will come a day when you won't be able to claim that anymore. Your hypocrisy will be exposed. Now, listen, this is, this is a scary chunk of scripture. But it's meant to be a blessing to you and to me. How? Because it causes us to be on guard for hypocrisy in our lives. I am so thankful for the many who raise their hands in our church family and say, I belong to Jesus, right? I am a follower of Jesus. But saying you're a follower of Jesus isn't enough. Brothers and sisters, we have to actually follow. And so we've got to together hold one another accountable and walk as followers of Jesus. We've got to beware of hypocrisy. It's not enough just to claim to belong to Jesus. Kingdom citizens stand out by distinct living. Kingdom citizens stand out by careful listening. And kingdom citizens stand out by genuine obeying. Now, let's just be clear. This, this doesn't mean we obey perfectly, right? Because if that's what Jesus would be saying, none of us should have any confidence, right? He's not saying you do the Father's will perfectly all the time. But Jesus is saying, if you claim to be a follower of mine, you actually will follow me. Like you actually will have a transformed life. And yes, there will be ups and downs. There will be challenges, but there will be progress that will be evident there. Not perfection just yet, but progress. And so you need to ask the question, if you are here this morning and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, do you obey Jesus? Do you submit to him as Lord of your life? Can your claim to faith be validated by evidence? Or it's possible that your claim to faith is just a claim. And that you have a veneer on the outside of a few big religious things on your resume. What would those be today? They would be like, oh, well, uh, I went to youth camp and I prayed the prayer of salvation one night 30 years ago. So I know I'm good with God, right? If you went to youth camp and you prayed a prayer of salvation, if that, if that prayer of salvation was real, there would be evidence, right? Not perfection, but progress. There would be evidence. But if you're banking your eternal state on I prayed the prayer three decades ago, I think there's a concern there for hypocrisy, right? Uh, oh, well, I was baptized. If you're a Christian, you should be baptized. That's the biblical pattern, But just because you were baptized doesn't mean necessarily that you are actually a follower of Jesus. There there needs to be evidence in your life. The normal pattern is you put your faith in Jesus, you're baptized, and then there's life change. 
But it's also possible that you could claim to be a Christian, you could be baptized, and there's no change ever because you might mistakenly think that the baptism is what saves you or you may just not have genuine faith. And so there it is. It's hypocrisy. And over time, that's exposed. So there's this reality here where Jesus says, just because you're saying, Lord, Lord, doesn't necessarily mean you belong to the Lord. So you have to be careful about this and be willing to ask the question, am I a hypocrite? I would encourage you, um, ask someone that knows you well enough and who will be honest with you to think that through with you. Say, brother or sister, you know me well. I'm concerned about this area of my life. Am, am Am I a hypocrite here? And invite them in to help you. Now listen, if you get to that level of questioning, I can pretty much guarantee that you're seeking the Lord. So that would, that would be great. But the fact is, you've got to ask that question, right? It's the ones who aren't concerned with it at all, who just want to look spiritual that we're concerned with, and who claim, oh yeah, I belong to Jesus, but their lives don't show it at all. So some who claim Christ are actually self-deceived, right? Well, you know by the fruit. Believers, beware hypocrisy. Don't be afraid to let the Spirit convict you here. We want to be a church filled with people who are actually following Jesus. Not a church filled with people who just say they're following Jesus. There's a big difference. And the difference there is in honesty and integrity as we pursue the Lord together. You know, as we consider these, these sections here in just these few verses... The fact is, these are hard truths. I mean, to say no to the crowd and enter through the narrow gate, that's hard. Endure that difficulty. To be on the, be on the lookout for false prophets and to be mindful of the, about the doctrine and the behavior, I mean, that, that's hard. That takes effort. And to soberly assess our own spiritual health and to say, man, I just got to make sure that I'm not one of those ones saying, Lord, Lord, and on that day, he'll say to me, I never knew you. I, I have to be vigilant for my own soul here. And I have to ask those tough questions, right? All that is very difficult. And so in one sense, what Jesus is saying is, yeah, welcome to following me. Like whoever said it was going to be easy. And I think for some of us, we maybe were sold a false version of Christianity. That's like, oh yeah, put your faith in Jesus. Everything in your life will be amazing. And the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl every year, right? Like, no, no, no one ever said that. I mean, God's word does not say that. It does say your life will be better. It's funny. We were, we were standing there at the, on that hike, and those people were coming down, and they kind of looked out of breath, you know? And they looked like they had been on a tussle. But not, not one of them said, oh, yeah, go this way. It'll be easy and just light and super fun, you know? Like, and butterflies are going to carry you to the top, right? I mean, like, no one said that. They were coming down, and they said, yeah, it's, it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Brothers and sisters, isn't that true? That following Jesus for you will be hard. But it's worth it. Because there's only one gate that leads to life. My friend Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, he said this as an encouragement. He said, That which seems narrow, which costs you self-denial, that which is contrary to the will of the flesh, that which does not seem to charm the eye and fascinate the senses, go after that. Spurgeon said, if it's hard, it's probably right. Go after that. 
enter through the narrow gate. Why? Because Jesus has gifted us life through that gate. How? Well, we have to keep reading in Matthew. But the way it works is, Jesus goes to the cross for us. So that way, when we knock at that gate, and he opens that door, what do we find? We don't find condemnation. We find grace. It's just grace. And so we don't, we don't endure all this difficulty to earn his favor. We do it because we already have his favor. And that's really what the gospel of Matthew is all about. The decision point today is, okay, are we actually going to follow him? Are we going to live as kingdom citizens who stand out by distinct living, by careful listening, and by genuine obeying? Let's pray together and let's ask God to help us grow in following Jesus. Lord, we pause this morning and we thank you so much for uh, these hard words that we need to hear. The calling to enter through the narrow gate, the calling to beware of false prophets, and Lord, the, the calling to be mindful of our own soul. And we just ask that you would be glorified as we pursue you. Help us to be kingdom citizens who stand out by distinct living, Lord. Help us to say no to temptation, to say yes to the things that glorify you in our lives. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to stand out by careful listening. Protect this church, we ask, from false teachers. Lord, help us to develop and to continue to cultivate a community that holds teachers accountable. Lord, help us to pay attention to those who have positions of influence and authority to their lives, to be mindful of hypocrisy. Lord, we pray that you would protect us from bad influences outside of the church especially as we face unique challenges because of the technology of uh, the internet, Lord. We pray that you would help us. Help us to be mindful, to be wise, to watch out for false prophets. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be mindful of our own soul. And Lord, if there are any who are here who are hypocrites, who claim to belong to you but clearly do not, we pray that you would convict them today of their sin. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring them to a place of confession of sin, and that they would repent of their wrongdoing and turn to you. And Lord, we praise you that, that there is grace available for them today. But Lord, we also recognize that there is a day coming where that offer will no longer be available. And Lord, we ask that you would protect us from hypocrisy. Help us to hold one another accountable out of love for you and love for each other. And Lord, we thank you that our acceptance in your kingdom is not dependent on our performance. We thank you that we don't have to earn your favor. But Lord, we pray that you would help us in light of your favor to live as truly your citizens. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our great Savior. Amen.